And our time has been titled, Are We There Yet? And yes, that's a question that any parent who has traveled any distance with a child has heard numerous times, countless times even. And I think it's an appropriate question for the times in which we now live. Where are we exactly in the prophetic scenario? Are there things that are happening right now that pertain to what God has revealed in the past through the prophets and through men like John the Beloved? I think we all recognize that we are in a rather unusual time, but it is not something that has never happened before in our country or around the world. We're not experiencing a first, but it is a first for most of us. Pandemics are not new. What we are experiencing is not unprecedented. However, the exploitation of the moment is something that is new and specific to the day in which we live. However, it is not unknown and it is to be expected. Now, in Luke chapter 21, 25 to 28, Jesus said there will be signs in the sun and the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Now the word begin means to commence in order of time. Uh, The word near means approaching and the implication being that while we do not know the day or the hour of the Lord's appearing to meet the church in the air, nor will we be present on the earth when many of the things that Jesus just mentioned are taking place, we are going to see the commencement of them as they draw near. We will be able to see them approaching, and thus the redemption of our bodies as Christians followed by the redemption of the nation of Israel, is not far off. Now, Jesus gave an answer to four inquiring disciples in Matthew 24 in what's known as the Olivet Discourse. And they said, Lord, what are the signs of your coming? And they asked him, when are these things going to be? And the end of the age was also within the frame of their questions. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And then he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, we've made the point in time past And I'm sure that most of you have heard that the word sorrows is translated elsewhere in Thessalonians as labor pains or birth pangs. So in other words, Jesus is saying there's a series of events that are going to escalate as time marches on as we draw nearer to the end. And some of what Jesus mentions that will happen in this labor pain-like progression need no explanation, or they are self-explanatory, false Christ, speaking of spiritual deception, wars and rumors of wars, famines, we well understand what the meaning is. Now, the other things Jesus mentioned need a bit more clarification. He talks about kingdom versus kingdom, and that means a sovereign country 
will be warring and rumoring of warring against another sovereign country. Nation against nation is not a repeat of the same thing, but rather a distinct Greek word. The kingdom is Basilea, where nation is the word ethnos, and it speaks of ethnicity, ethnicity. And it can be translated as either a tribe or an ethnic group. In other words, Jesus is saying in the last days, there will be growing tensions between sovereign nations, sovereign governments, and ethnic groups or racial tensions as well. Now, we know today that there are growing tensions between the U.S. and China. We know that there are ongoing tensions between China and Taiwan. We know that there are tensions between Turkey and the U.S., Turkey and Russia, Turkey and Israel, Turkey and Greece, Turkey and Syria. And in case you're wondering, Turkey is a major player in the last day's scenario. Saudi and, and uh, Iran, Saudi Arabia and Iran have tensions growing between them. Iran and the U.S., Iraq and the U.S. The list goes on and on and on of kingdoms and wars, of rumors of war and rumors of war between them. Now, we also know that ethnic and tribal tensions are on the rise. We know today that the Turks hate the Kurds. We know that the Indians and the Pakistanis are constantly at odds. We've seen the Russian-Ukrainian dispute in recent years. The Shias and Sunnis are continuing their nearly 1,500-year battle. There are over 200 ethnic groups in Nigeria causing division in that country, we saw in the United States, the Black Lives Matter movement divide our own country. And of course, the ongoing and biblically relevant conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Now, we also find the word earthquake used in Jesus' list of things that are going to be happening in a labor pain fashion as we draw near the end. Now, the word that he uses there for earthquake is seismos. Now, the interesting thing about that is the word literally means a commotion in the air or on the ground. And earthquakes and atmospheric-related weather events certainly would be included in that. So as we continue to set the stage for where we are now in the prophetic scenario, I'm going to cite some articles for you. And the first one today is from the Geological Society of America. And it's actually from October 21st, 2014. The last 10 years, the article says, have been a remarkable time for great earthquakes. Since December of 2004, there have been no less than 18 quakes of a magnitude 8.0 or greater, a rate of more than twice that was seen from 1900 to mid-2004. Hundreds of thousands of lives have been lost. Massive damage has resulted from these great earthquakes. But as devastating as such events can be, these recent earthquakes come with a silver lining, and that, according to the Geological Society, is they coincide with unprecedented advantages, advances rather, in technological and scientific capacity for learning from them. In other words, we've watched this escalation of quakes, we've learned much from them, and the pattern has continued up into our day. 2020 has already, though we are nearly three months in, seen Three earthquakes of a magnitude 7 or greater. We've seen 10 global earthquakes of the magnitude 6 or greater. The USGS or the U.S. Geological Survey has listed each of them as significant 
events. Now, there are unprecedented levels of flooding and devastating landslides and mud flows that are happening all over the world. And just last week, a freak hailstorm destroyed the main marketplace in a portion of Mexico City. And the last thing I want to draw your attention to is the mention of a rise of pestilence prior to the return of Christ. Now, the word pestilence means a plague or disease, or it can mean pests. And there are indeed some pests that are plaguing the Middle East today. The Daily Star out of England reports that millions of locusts cover the streets in Oman with footage showing the ground moving. The article says devastating locust swarms continue to wreak havoc across East Africa and the Middle East in scenes described as apocalyptic. Swarms of locusts have descended on Oman with footage showing what seems to be the floor moving after millions started crawling across the streets. They all seem to be moving in the same direction, which gives the impression that the ground or floor is moving. The locusts have now been in 10 countries, leading forecasters to say they pose a threat to millions. Warm weather conditions have created one of the biggest plagues in history. And the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization, or the FAO, has requested $134 million from the World Organization to help fight the threat. So obviously we see pest or pestilence on the rise in our day. And the other meaning of pestilence is what all of us have become all too familiar with in recent days. And the other meaning is simply disease. Now, back in 1918 through a portion of 1920, an H1N1 virus struck the world that was labeled as the Spanish flu. It swept the globe. It caused schools and businesses to close to stop the spread of the virus, which would eventually take the lives of tens of millions of people. Some have estimated that the loss of life between 1918 and 1920 was as many as 100 million people around the world. And since the advent of the new millennium, We also have had the SARS outbreak of 2002 and 3, which infected some 8,000 people and had a fatality rate of some 8%, uh, just under 10%, I should say. In 2014, we were introduced to the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS, as it's called. It arrived on the world stage in Saudi Arabia, and there were less than 1,000 who were infected with it, but the fatality rate of MERS was almost 40%. In 2009 and 10, the world experienced the H1N1 virus visiting us again, this time in the form of the swine flu. And a pandemic affected 1 billion people around the world, killed 575,400 people around the globe, including 12,469 right here in the United States of America. So these things are not new. We have survived them in the past. And should the Lord tarry, we certainly, as the church, will survive this as well. So we need to keep looking up. We need to understand that the Lord is in control. We need to be wise in our dealings with the things happening around us and therefore keep our focus on the Lord. Now, according to the New England Journal of Medicine, the CDC has approved a list of quarantinable illnesses, and they are cholera, 
diphtheria, infectious tuberculosis, plague, smallpox, yellow fever, viral hemorrhagic fevers like the Ebola virus, severe acute respiratory syndromes or SARS, and influenza that can cause a pandemic. Now, the CDC estimates that in the 2019 flu season, which started on October 1st, 2019, and ends two days from now on uh, March 31st, 2020, there have been somewhere between 38 and 54 million cases of the flu. The number of hospitalizations lands between 400,000 and 780,000, and the CDC estimates that between 24,000 and 62,000 people have died of the flu in the United States during this flu season. Now, to date, the flu in our country, therefore, has killed an estimated 45,000 people if we take the average of the CDC's calculations. COVID-19 has killed 2,229 people since it arrived on the world scene. To date, there have been an estimated 46 million cases of the flu, again, taking the average of the CDC estimates, and there have been 123,780 cases of COVID-19 in these United States. Now, I point this out not to minimize the seriousness of the COVID-19 pandemic, but to note that these flu statistics are consistent every single year, and yet... Even though the flu, the ordinary flu, whatever strain visits us each year, kills far more people than COVID-19 has in our country or around the world. There are no quarantines. There are no school or church closing, clothings, closings rather. And both the seasonal flu and COVID-19 carry similar fatality rates. Now, COVID-19, however, is three times more infectious and thus it gives the potential for a higher number of deaths, but that has not been realized at this point in time either. Now, we have uh, virologists, immunologists, and infectious disease doctors divided on the potential threat, longevity, and severity of COVID-19. Some say this is going to pass, and when the weather warms, we will see it exit the world scene. It may resurge as did the H1N1 of the Spanish flu back in 2018 to 20, or uh, 1918 to 20. And others are saying, no, this is going to be an ongoing event. And the warm weather, the summer weather will not change things at all. Now, we do know that time will tell. And we do know that we are going to survive this. Now, we need to obey the directives given by the government, as we are doing here at Calvary Chapel Tustin this morning. And again, our services being exclusively online. And I'll mention to you, as Dave very wisely mentioned, the social distancing. If you hear people in the background, it is our security team that is here to make sure that all is well on the premises. But the fact is, we need to follow the steps that we have been directed to follow. Now... With all that said, now we're going to get into the message. So would you pray with me, please? Father, we are grateful for our time this morning. We thank you that you have given us all things pertaining to life and godliness. We thank you, Lord, that you have told us all that we need to know to make our way through all the tribulations and pandemics that we experience in life. And Lord, yet we recognize that there are those who are suffering. We recognize there are those who have died. 
we recognize there are those who are serving tirelessly to aid those who are sick and, Lord, comfort those who are perishing. So, Lord, we look to you as the author and finisher of our faith. We look to you as we sang so many times in the wonderful worship time this morning that you are a God who saves, and save means deliver as well, Lord. So we pray you deliver us uh, as a global community, Lord, from this pandemic, no matter our ethnicity or the sovereignty under which we uh, live out our lives. God, you, Lord, can change the direction of this. So we ask that you would. And Lord, we pray this morning also that you guide us through the balance of our time, inform us, prepare us, and equip us for the work of ministry during this very difficult and strange season that we are now enduring as a world and the church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the reason I wanted to set up where we are in our rather lengthy introduction is because that there are things that are happening now that are unprecedented and they are opportunistically being exploited by the progressives to advance an agenda that I believe unbeknownst to them, is actually something that the Bible has recorded and told us will come to pass. Now, let me first set the stage with a couple of things. One is a historical fact, and the other is a present reality. Again, looking back to the H1N1 or the swine flu of 2009, the New York Times ran an article on August 31st that was titled, Finding a Scapegoat When Epidemics Strike. The byline read, whose fault was the Black Death? In in medieval Europe, Jews were blamed so often and so viciously that it is surprising that it was not called the Jewish Death. During the pandemic's peak in Europe from 1348 to 51, more than 200 Jewish communities were wiped out. Their inhabitants accused of spreading contagion or poisoning wells. The swine flu outbreak of 2009 has been nowhere near as virulent and has neither had the reaction. But, as in pandemics throughout history, someone got the blame. At first, it was Mexico, with attacks on Mexicans and other countries, and calls from American politicians to close the border. In May, a Mexican soccer player, who said he was called a leper by a Chilean opponent, spat on his tormentor. Chilean news media accused him of germ warfare. In June, Argentines stoned Chilean buses, saying they were importing disease. And when Argentina's caseload soared, European countries warned their citizens against visiting it. When disease strikes and humans suffer, suffer, said Dr. Lise Ann Porofsky, chief of infectious diseases at Albert Einstein College of Medicine and an expert on the history of epidemics, she went on to say the need to understand why is very powerful. And unfortunately, identification of a scapegoat is sometimes inevitable. Well, I submit to you that there is a scapegoat that is being submitted to the masses today. And guess who it is? Well, the New York Times says the the road to coronavirus hell was paved by evangelicals. This article was just written and published some two days ago. And Trump's response to the pandemic has been haunted by the science denialism of his ultra-conservative religious allies. 
The denial of science and critical thinking among religious ultra-conservatives now haunts the American response to the virus. And on March 15th, Guillermo Maldonado, who calls himself an apostle and hosted Mr. Trump earlier this year at a campaign event at his Miami megachurch, urged his congregants to show up for worship services in person. Do you believe that God would bring his people to his house to be contagious with the virus? Of course not, he said. The article goes on to say Rodney Howard Brown of the River at Tampa Bay Church in Florida mocked people concerned about the disease as pansies and insisted he would only shutter the doors to his packed church when the rapture is taking place. In a sermon that was live streamed on Facebook, Tony Spell, a pastor in Louisiana, said, We're also going to pass out anointed handkerchiefs to people who may have a fear, who may have a sickness. And we believe that when those anointed handkerchiefs go, the healing virtue is going to go on them as well. Now, there are multiple interesting things about this particular article. The first being that we are the ones who are being uh, criticized and the ones who are being accused of causing the spread of the COVID-19 virus here in the United States. Now, I find this to be interesting as they level the accusation of denying science, and this coming from a group who believes that first there was nothing and then it blew up. They believe non-factual things all the time, and they throw this accusation at the church, and then those whom they use to uh, create their evidence or report their evidence are people who are on the fringe, so to speak, of mainstream Christianity. They are those who believe in things like miracle wallets and miracle handkerchiefs. And uh, Rodney Howard Brown was labeled himself as the Holy Ghost bartender and was basically the one who ushered in this holy laughter movement that started up in Toronto, Canada. We also see mentions of people labeling themselves as apostles in the sense of a New Testament age apostle or early church apostle who are saying, do you believe God would bring his people to his house to be contagious with the virus? Listen, Christians get sick. Christians get cancer. Christians die. What we label as untimely deaths. That's a reality of life on a fallen world. But get this. The article would go on to say much deeper embedded into the story that not all Christians are acting this way. But the fact is they didn't quote a single one of them. They didn't mention any of those churches. They didn't mention any of the pastor's names. They only mentioned those who fit their agenda to spread the fact that Christians are causing people to die in the United States of America because of their scientific denial and ignorance. Now, we could debate the question as to whether the response to COVID-19 has been either appropriate or disproportionate all day long. But the fact is, it is being exploited by the opportunistic globalist progressives, and that cannot be denied. Now, as we said earlier, this is not to be unexpected, and by recognizing what is coming, we can, to a degree at least, determine where we are in the prophetic scenario and ask the question, are we there yet? Is it time for the Lord to come and get his church, though the day and hour remain unknown to any? In Revelation 17, John the Beloved saw a woman sitting on a beast. 
The beast had seven heads and ten horns. And then John wrote this after first sighting this beast. Revelation 7, 6 to 4, 17, 6 to 14, John said, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. But the angel said to me, why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads, in other words, John is now having interpreted for him what was just said. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue for a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour or a brief time period as kings with the beast. These are of one mind and they will give their power and authority to the beast These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords, King of kings, and those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. Somebody at home, shout amen or say hallelujah. Now, from this we can glean that there is coming a world-dominating empire. It's headed by a figure Revelation 13 describes as the first beast. And we'll talk more about him in a moment. He's going to form a coalition with 10 other rulers who have not yet received their kingdom. But when they do, they will be like minded with the beast. They will surrender their sovereignty to the beast in order to bring about a single global empire headed up by one man, often referred to as the Antichrist. Now, we are told in the interpretation that the seven mountains upon which the woman sits represent seven kingdoms. And mountains are figuratively used in Scripture as uh, representing governmental systems or nations. We're told five have fallen. One exists at the time of John's writing, and another has not yet come. And the eighth will spring up out of the seventh empire. Now, if we look back historically, we know that there have been seven global empires in the course of human history. The first we're very familiar with, and that was the nation of Egypt that held captive the Israelites for some 430 years. The next global empire was the Assyrians. The Assyrians were then conquered and followed by the Babylonian Empire, who gave way to the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire under Alexander the Great, who swiftly conquered the world, and then finally Alexander's Empire that was divided up between his four generals was conquered by the Roman Empire, gave way to the Roman Empire. Now, according to a statue that is represented Uh, representative of world kingdoms in Daniel chapter 2, the Roman Empire is going to be revived. It's going to come again to world power in some form or fashion. And the Antichrist kingdom will arise out of that revived Roman Empire. Daniel 2 describes it as a fragile coalition 
partly of iron, which represents the Roman Empire, and partly of clay, speaking of other nations. Now, that means if we are near to the beginning of the tribulation, which, by the way, is preceded by the rapture of the church, then we would expect to see a movement towards globalism that is happening on an escalated scale in our world today. Here's another article from a a Guardian magazine from March 26th, an online magazine that is, March 26th, 2020. And the headline says, Gordon Brown, former British Prime Minister, calls for global government to tackle coronavirus. Gordon Brown has urged world leaders to create a temporary form of global government to tackle the twin medical and economic crisis caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The former prime minister, who is at the center of the international efforts to tackle the impact of the near meltdown of the banks in 2008, said there was a need for a task force involving world leaders, health experts, and the heads of the international organizations that would have executive powers to coordinate the response. A virtual meeting of the G20 group of developed and developing countries chaired by Saudi Arabia held on Thursday. Brown said it would have been preferable to have also included the United Nations Security Council. Another article from the Globalist online magazine from March 3rd, 2020. Globalization and pandemics. Global problems require global responses, according to the headline. The rapid dispersion of many diseases is one of the inevitable characteristics of globalization. Listen, nationalist approaches are therefore completely counterproductive. In other words, we don't need people in office who say, make America great again. We don't need people like Benjamin Netanyahu in office in the nation of Israel. Those with a nationalist mentality who want to see their own countries flourish. We need to have a global mentality is a summary of the globalist article. In Haaretz newspaper, March 26, 2020, Israeli health minister's cure for COVID-19, the Messiah. The article says we are praying and hoping that the Messiah will arrive before Passover, which happens uh, on April 8th, not too far from now, the time of our redemption. I am sure that the Messiah will come and bring us out as God brought us out of Egypt. Soon we will go out in freedom and the Messiah will come and redeem us from all the troubles in the world. This is what the world is hungry for. Redemption from all troubles. Many world leaders see globalism and the new world order as the answer to all the world's problems. Orthodox Jews are looking not to a world system, but to a man who will lead them out of Egypt, so to speak, into a time of peace and security. Now, the point is this. Why... With all the recent viral threats, have we not seen this response before? One billion people get the flu every year, killing hundreds of thousands of people, as we mentioned. H1N1 killed 284,000 people between January 2009 and August of 2010. So what is going on? Is there an undercurrent or an agenda? And the reason we are seeing the exploitation of COVID-19, including blaming Christians for its spread in the U.S., is because of what the Apostle Peter said that is more true now than ever before. When he said in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. We need to be praying. 
We need to be praying for one another, obviously praying for the sick and those responding to the spread of this disease. And we need to be praying for our country and we need to be praying that the gospel would spread during this time as a pandemic is sweeping the world. Now, the Bible recorded the Egyptian, Assyrian and Babylonian world empires. The Bible predicted the Medo-Persian, Greek and Roman empires before they ever took place. The Bible also said there would be a revived form of the Roman Empire, which implies that there will be those who push for globalism prior to the rise of the seventh and final empire from which the Antichrist arises. So what do we do? Do we panic? Do we freak out? No, we remain steadfast and watchful as we pray Because I believe with all my heart, more so than even when this message began, I believe Jesus is coming for us soon. So what else can we see that is being exploited through the door of this very tragic pandemic that is sweeping the globe? Revelation 13 tells us that two beasts will arise during the tribulation. Listen, I don't know who they are. I don't care who they are. What I care about is I'm not going to be here to find out. And neither will any born again Christian. But this we know, one rises from the sea, and the sea is often emblematic of non-Jewish nations or peoples or Gentiles, and the other beast rises up from the earth. And we'll see the phrase, the land, the land, the land, often referred to in scripture, which is symbolically used in reference to Israel. Now that means it is possible that the Antichrist is a Gentile, and the false prophet of the second beast is a Jew. I say it is possible, and I will underscore again, I don't plan on being here to find out if that interpretation is accurate, and I hope you don't either. Now, again, it's interesting, but it's irrelevant to all born-again Christians alive at the time of the end. But it does open the door for the question posed by our title, Are We There Yet? And the fact is, we can see movement in the, in the direction that the beast and a false prophet is going to take the world during the tribulation happening right now. And one of the vehicles being employed is the COVID-19 virus. Now, in Revelation 13, 13 to 20, we're told about this uh, beast, the second beast. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and live. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, There have been all kinds of candidates for who the Antichrist is. People trying to figure out uh, the numeric value of the person's name. Henry Kissinger was a candidate for some time. Ronald Wilson Reagan, because all three of his names have six letters, was a candidate for a time. Mikhail uh, Gorbachev, uh, Vladimir Putin, all types of names are thrown out there. But again, 
we need to recognize that the church is going to be out of here before that man rises to power because the church has to be out of here before it can happen. Now, when the first beast rises to power, his rise to global domination and worship is going to be through the means of an attempted assassination from which he will have a fake resurrection from the dead. It will be reported by the fake news. And boy, do we see that today. And it will be validated by an image constructed by man, which the second beast gives breath to and causes to speak and give the order to all humanity that whoever refuses to worship the first beast Beast must be put to death. And uh, Revelation later tells us it will be by the means of beheading. Now, he then implements a system that monitors global commerce with the control mechanism of a mark on the hand or the forehead of anyone who wants to conduct business. Now, the first thing we need to recognize is that this kind of Technological capability is exclusive to the days in which we now live. Man has never had this capability until relatively recently. Now, here's another interesting article from a website called Biohack Info News. This story has been in part all over the media in recent days, and it's concerning Microsoft co-founder Bill Gates, who is launching a human implantable capsule that has digital certificates which can show who has been tested for the coronavirus and who has been vaccinated against it. Now, there's no vaccine for it at this point in time, yet this agenda is being pushed forward. The 64-year-old tech mogul and currently the second richest person in the world revealed this yesterday during a Reddit Ask Me Anything session while answering questions on the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. Gates was responding to a question on how business will be able to operate while maintaining social distancing and said that eventually we will have some digital certificates to show who has recovered or who has been recently or or been tested recently or when we have a vaccine who has received it. The digital certificates Gates was referring to are human implantable quantum dot tattoos that researchers at MIT and Rice University are working on as a way to hold vaccination records. It was last year in December when scientists from the two universities revealed that they were working on these quantum dot tattoos after Bill Gates approached them about solving the problem of identifying those who have not been vaccinated. The quantum dot tattoos involve applying dissolvable sugar-based microneedles that contain a vaccine and fluorescent copper-based quantum dots embedded inside the biocompatible micron-scale capsules. And the microneedles dissolve under the skin. They leave the encapsulated quantum dot whose patterns can be read to identify the vaccine uh, that the vaccine was administered. The quantum dot tattoos will likely be supplemented with Bill Gates' other undertaking called ID2020, which is an ambitious project by Microsoft to solve the problem of over 1 billion people who lived without an officially recognized digital identity. As for ID2020, to see it through, Microsoft has formed an alliance with four other companies, namely uh, Accenture, IDEO, Gavi, and the Rockefeller Foundation, and the project is being supported by the United Nations and has been incorporated into the UN's Sustainable Development Goals Initiative. 
So obviously we're seeing, as we've talked about over the years, we went from the barcode to the radio frequency implant device that was popular for the mark of the beast. But it's interesting that the word mark used in Revelation is the Greek word uh, karagma. And it means a scratch or an etching. Now, the figurative meaning, I believe, is the more proper meaning for us to understand, or more important meaning, I should say. And figuratively, karagma means a badge of servitude. In other words, it is going to identify those who are serving the Antichrist and those who are not. And in the age of digital currencies and transactions, this mark would not only have to have biometric capabilities, but also the ability to interact with monetary data transmitters or merchant pay processors. In other words, there'll be no card for us to swipe. There'll be no pen for us to input. It will simply be the wave of the hand or a scan of the forehead, which allows for the transaction. Is that uh, possible in our day technologically? Absolutely. And that means the storing of personal data and banking information as well. And if Gates has his way, it will include a vaccine and proof that you've had it. Now, another website called TrustStamp.com says that TrustStamp adds AI and ML experts focusing on biometric technology for public health and security. TrustStamp has added a number of experts in artificial intelligence, that's AI, machine learning, that's ML, and data analysis to its science team to boost biometric identity product development with a focus on public health and security, the company announced. In response to the unprecedented humanitarian government and commercial interest in our technologies, we are growing our team with experts in every pertinent field from sales to science, said Trust Stamp CEO Gareth Genner in a prepared statement. Thanks to early investments in our Series A round by FSH Capital, MasterCard, and Secondary Century Ventures, we are a rapidly building phenomenal, we are rapidly building a phenomenal team with blended skills, perspectives, and backgrounds to accelerate progress toward our ambitious goals. Trust Stamp is looking for parties interested in participating in Series A funding to further develop patent and deliver its technology. Just recently, it secured an investment from MasterCard to expand on its AI-powered authentication services for developing communities after graduating the 2018 MasterCard Start Path Accelerator program. Another article of interest from Ford's magazine dated March 23rd, 2020. The first section says this article was updated on, <coughs> excuse me, March 24th at 11.45 a.m. And it states, uh, prior to uh, this article is going to press, or a revision of it, I should say, the final version of the economic stimulus package offered by Speaker Pelosi and House Democrats no longer includes the U.S. digital dollar proposal. However, the language proposed by Chairwoman Waters of the House Financial Services Committee still contains this language. And the coronavirus stimulus offered by House Financial Services creates a new digital dollar, Forbes headline read. And as the market continues to drop and the U.S. Congress uh, the U.S. looks to Congress for agreement on a massive stimulus package, which we know has now been approved, to save the economy from impacts of the coronavirus pandemic. The newest offer by House Democrats includes a very forward-looking kind of stimulus, the creation of a digital dollar and the establishment of digital dollar wallets. And what will send shockwaves 
through the cryptocurrency and blockchain industry, particularly for those following central bank digital currencies around the world. And this signals the U.S. is serious in establishing infrastructure for a central bank digital currency. The bill establishes a digital dollar, which it defines as a balance expressed as a dollar, a dollar value consisting of a digital ledger entry that are recorded as liabilities in the account of any Federal Reserve Bank or an electronic unit of value redeemable by an eligible financial institution as determined by the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System. Additionally, a digital dollar wallet is identified as a digital wallet or account maintained by a Federal Reserve Bank on behalf of any person that represents holdings in an electronic device or service that is used to store digital dollars that may be tied to a digital or physical identity. A mandate also requires all member banks establish a pass-through digital dollar wallet to all customers eligible for the stimulus. Member banks include those banks that are members of the Federal Reserve and regulated by the Fed. Additionally, non-member state banks, those that uh, are not members of the Federal Reserve and regulated by the FDIC, could opt in to offer pass-through digital dollar wallets as well. Now, even though this didn't make it into the final uh, form of the stimulus package, the efforts are still there. It's on the minds of those in places of power who identify themselves as progressives and anti-conservative. And there is coming a day when all global commerce is going to be controlled by one man and a coalition of leaders around him. And because of the limited duration of his global empire, 42 months, according to Revelation 13:5, the need for such, uh, such a thing and the mechanisms that allow for it have to be in place before he comes into power. So, are we there yet? Yes, indeed, I believe we are. And one last thing to solidify the fact that this pandemic is being exploited to further the goals of the globalists and prepare the world for the coming of the lawless one comes from a book I'm sure many of you at least have heard the title of. It is the handbook for, sadly, many of our recent political leaders, including men like Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And it's a book called The Rules for Radicals, authored by a man named Saul Alinsky. He published the book in 1971, and he gave a list of 13 rules that would be followed to accomplish the goal he sets out in the book. His goal for the reader, his goal for the book is this. What follows is for those who want to change the world from what it is to what they believe it should be. What did Barack Obama say during his run-up to the election of 2008? I want to fundamentally change the United States of America. During his campaign, this phrase was repeated over and over, changing the world from what it is to what they believe it should be. His goal is established as the haves who now hold on to power. Rules for radicals is written for the have-nots on how to take it away from the haves. Now, among the 13 rules from how uh, to take from the haves and give it to the have-nots are these. I'm not going to read all 13, but here's a hand-picked selection. Listen to this. Whenever possible, go outside the expertise of the enemy. Look for ways to increase insecurity, anxiety, and uncertainty. Is that happening today? Absolutely. Listen to number five. 
Ridicule is man's most potent weapon. There is no defense. It's irrational. It's infuriating. It also works as a key pressure point to force the enemy into concessions, like accusing evangelical Christians of causing the spread of coronavirus in the United States. Uh, Number nine of the rules for radical is the threat is usually more terrifying than the thing itself. Imagination and ego can dream up many more consequences than any activist. Number 11, if you push a negative hard enough, it will push through and become a positive. Violence from the other side can win the public to your side because the public sympathizes with the underdog. And we have seen with groups like Antifa who are acting out in violence against any conservative organization, yet the fake news media today continues to report that it is the conservatives who are the cause of all the problems. Number 13 says, pick the target, freeze it, personalize it, polarize it. Cut off the support network and isolate the target from sympathy. Go after people and not institutions. People hurt faster than institutions. Now this means, in essence, that the globalists believe they have to control the narrative. Now, I received an update from one of the real estate agents in our church who sends out a weekly update Very helpful and useful information, but the one I received yesterday was of particular interest and relevance to our topic this morning. Now, the email opens with this statement. Finding reliable resources with information on the economic impact of the virus is more difficult than uh, uh, studying the virus itself. For this reason, it is important to shed some light on the situation. There are already alarmist headlines starting to appear. Here are two such examples surfacing just this week. The first article comes from Goldman Sachs. The forecast of the largest drop in gross domestic product in almost a 100 years. Now then the comments go on to say it sounds like Armageddon. And though the headline is true, it doesn't reflect the full essence of the Goldman Sachs forecast. The projection is actually that we'll have a tough first half of the year, but the economy will bounce back nicely in the second half. Gross domestic product will be up 12% in the third quarter and another 10% in the fourth. And this aligns with research from John Burns Consulting involving pandemics, the economy, and home values. And they concluded, historical analysis showed us that pandemics are usually V-shaped. Sharp recessions that recover quickly enough to provide little damage to home prices. And some very cutting-edge search engine analysis by our information management team showed the current slowdown is playing out similarly thus far. The the economy, rather, will suffer for the next few months, but then it will recover. That certainly doesn't qualify as Armageddon. Now, the second news story that was reported in this email was from the Fed predicting uh, 30% unemployment. The Fed president predicts 30% unemployment. This statement was indeed made by James Bullard, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. And what Bullard actually said was it could reach 30%. But what else he said in the Bloomberg News interview was this. This is a planned organized partial shutdown of the U.S. economy in the second quarter, Bullard said. The overall goal is to keep everyone, households and businesses whole with government support. According to Bloomberg, he also went on to say, I would see the third quarter as a transitional quarter with the fourth quarter and the first quarter of next year as quite robust. Americans making up for lost spending. 
those quarters might be boom quarters, he said. And again, Bullard agrees that we will have a tough first half, but we will rebound quickly. Again, controlling the narrative is essential to advancing globalism, and the COVID-19 pandemic is being used as a vehicle. So let's go back to where we started as we wrap things up. The COVID-19 pandemic is real. It is serious and people are dying. And we need to follow the directives given to us in order to slow and eventually stop the spread. However, there is no doubt that it is being exploited by opportunistic globalists who are using a real and present danger to gain back the territory they lost under President Trump and get back to furthering their agenda that is preparing the way for the Antichrist to use what they have created to control global commerce and kill all who refuse to bow to his demands. These label themselves as enlightened ones, and they are nothing more than puppets of the devil, and they are being used to usher in the man of sin, the son of perdition, who is the beast of Revelation 13. Now, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11 reminds us, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. There's the mention of the word translated as sorrow in Matthew 24, uh, 8. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness. Somebody say amen out there. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Same admonition as Peter. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. I want you to consider this. In the last 30 days, our buying and selling is now being controlled by the government. Businesses are being told who can open and who must close. Efforts to create a digital identity and currency have taken a giant leap forward. Sporting events are canceled. Schools are closed. And churches are not allowed to meet. Yet, it is not a time for us to be in fear. It is a time for us to be wise with what is going on around us and to keep our eyes on the prize. Listen, should the Lord decide to tarry a bit longer, this COVID-19 thing is going to come to an end just as the H1N1 that killed tens of millions around the world did in 1918 to 1920. And the fact is, the loss of life is tragic. It is always tragic, whether it be from the flu, from natural causes, from traffic accidents. We need to be praying for those who have lost loved ones. We need to be praying for the sick, which we're always called to do as the church. But the truth is, should the Lord not come 
at any moment or within the next few days or months? Or should he decide to tarry for years? Things are going to turn around. And until things do, and until the Lord comes, we are commissioned to be about the Father's business and tell a lost and dying world that there is but one Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I want you to think about it like this. Churches, there are some states who are threatening to fine and imprison churches who meet collectively. Now, we have been told to go to the world and preach the gospel. That is a mandate from Jesus himself for the church in every age. So if you don't think there's a spiritual element behind this, think about what's happening right now. We're being told to stay away from other people who need Jesus. We're being told not to gather collectively in an assembly type fashion as the church, where the purpose of our gathering is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Yes, these are things that happen throughout the course of history, but the fact is this one has a special attachment to it that is biblical, I believe, in nature. And we need to remember, we need to communicate via social media and however, the message of hope, the message of truth, so people can come to faith in Christ and be saved. Now, throughout the course of Israel's history, when God would move in a wrathful way, he would always make mention that he was doing what he was doing so that the world would know that he is the Lord. Now, I'm not saying or implying that God is behind this, but I do believe that he has foreseen this and that it is being used by uh, the progressives of the globalists to advance their cause. And Jesus said, when you see these things begin to commence the approach to the tribulation, look up for your redemption is nigh. Jesus is coming and I believe soon. He promised he would. He said he's gone to prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. He said, listen, if I have gone to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. If it wasn't so, I would have told you so. He told us he's coming back for us and the signs seem to indicate that coming could be even perhaps today. I hope it is. And I pray that the Lord would strengthen you and use you and bless you that you might stay healthy during this time as we await his soon return. Pray with me, please. And Father, again, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can examine news stories as we did today and find through the lens of biblical prophecy things that relate to the time of the end, a a time period that you told us more about than any other time period in the course of human history. We are not absent of evidence or information that tells us that we can see the day approaching, even though the day and hour of the appearing of you in the air is yet a mystery and unknown to any uh, human today. Father, we recognize that things that are going to happen during the tribulation are at hand and even at the ready. So, Lord, may you create in us a sense of urgency in the midst of this pandemic, not just that people would stay healthy, though that is our prayer and desire, but that they would be saved. Use us, Lord, throughout the means and the technology we have at this point in time to spread the good news of Jesus Christ, even as we see the world spiraling down into the bad news of the tribulation. We thank you that you have made a way of escape, And that for your people, there is no appointment with wrath. 
So we thank you for these things today and help us, Lord, to be bold in the manner in which we can uh, during this time. And Lord, we pray for the end of the coronavirus, uh, the COVID-19 strain of it that we're experiencing today. We pray again for those who are mourning the loss of a loved one. We pray for our first responders and caregivers in the hospitals around the world as well. Protect them, keep them safe and strong, we pray, and their families as well. We give you thanks for our time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.